is episode 32 of G.I. Joburg, South Africa's only podcast dealing with G.I. Joe, or the Action Force. In this episode, we're talking subgroups again, but instead of talking about pre-existing subgroups, the boys at G.I. Joburg decide to delve into their ultimate new sub-teams. If we were to redesign a subgroup for the line, what would we like to see? I mean, there's been a lot of fan fervor over the recent the recent announcement for this convention exclusive set, which includes, among others, the members of the initial Ecoforce subset and their nefarious Cobra counterparts, the Toxo Vipers, Sludge Vipers, and we've seen in previous releases Cesspool figure. We've also gotten one of the notable members of the Ninja Force included in this subset. So it really sparked our imaginations and made us wonder what kind of sub-team would we really like to see? My oh, name awesome. is Steven, <laughs> and as always, <laughs> I'm joined by my cohorts Paul Hi. and Robert. That's me. Cohorts. <laughs> cohorts. Yellow and black and ready to attack. <laughs> okay, so this topic comes from quite a bit of excitement, like Stephen mentioned, about some of the sort of subsets dipping into the excitement that is the 90s, and my current obsession with Tiger Force. So, let's start off with a section of, who's got new stuff? <laughs> uh, me? A little bit of backstory. I've just come out of two and a half months in South Korea, which is not a destination for someone with a vintage toy hobby. If I wanted Gundam, I'd be in luck. If I wanted a bit of Transformers, I'd also be in luck. If I wanted Power Rangers, wow, I would have come home with two very full suitcases. But in terms of G.I. Joe, both new and old, forget about it. There's very little much of a fan scene there. And uh, that just led me to try out eBay as, a, as an, an outlet for my <laughs> collecting itch. After heading to Seoul, I planned to see my brother's family, and he lives in the United Kingdom. So, I was doing a lot of trawling on eBay UK, and I discovered, to my delight, that uh, auctions on the United Kingdom site are a little bit less fiercely contested than the US eBay site. At least for G.I. Joe stuff. I guess it has slightly less of a following this side of the Atlantic. So I managed to get some pretty decent deals on some rather sought after, and not so sought after, but just stuff that I found going for cheap uh, items. To begin with the figures, uh, I picked up, because I already have their accessories, uh, Toxo Viper and Lifeline. These are figures that I had as a child, but their O-rings broke, and that means their useful life had expired. To my seven-year-old mind, if your O-ring was broken, the figure goes in the bin. I had a very kind of mercenary uh, policy back then. I mean, mercenary and ill-informed. If someone could only have told me that uh, replacing the rubber band was only one screw away, uh, I would still have my childhood lifeline and toxoviper. But since I got these guys for a pound each, wow. I'd say uh, we're still smiling. Fifteen bucks a Joe, nice. 
If only. I think the exchange rate's closer to 18 now, but whatever. 18 rand for a piece of my childhood is a steal. Oh, well, it's a leaky suit brigade and it's, an, and it's a pacifist. Nice. <laughs> leaky suit brigade sidles up next to a pacifist at a bar. What happens yeah. next? <laughs> <Deep six. laughs> Choose your own adventure. <laughs> uh, after those two grabs, I... Once again, trawling eBay late at night because I was too damn despondent after finding zero toys to buy in Seoul. I happened upon an auction for two heat vipers, both complete. Oh, and cool. The auction topped out at a massive four pounds. So that's two pounds a piece for, you know, mint complete heat vipers. Wahoo. I, once again, uh, Heat Fiber was an, an action figure that I had when I was growing up. Perhaps one of my first few Joes. I think he was possibly the second Cobra I ever got after Monkey Wrench. And certainly the most outlandish looking with those fins on his boots. So he was the, I suppose, robot flying Viper. <laughs> or one actually, I, I used to use him in the bath for some reason. Those fins suggested like propellers. Yeah, but, submissibleness. <laughs> no doubt. And he's orange, which is kind of aquatic looking. Looks like a wetsuit. Anyway, um, those missiles were the first thing to go, obviously. I mean, I was about five at the time. Forget it. The fact that they're trying to keep track of six small missiles, I think I might have actually lost them the very day I opened my heat viper, which I think was Christmas Day, 1980. If I'm not mistaken, something like that. Maybe it was Easter. Ah, whatever. So having these two in hand is is pretty neat, and they're neat-looking vipers. I've always liked the the appearance of the heat viper. Um, it's a necessary troop if you want, you know, a, sort of a heavy weapons dude to knock out aircraft or or tanks, and certainly a more handsome-looking viper than. Metalhead or the Flak Viper. So, he's the go-to Bazooka Man. I picked up 1984 Storm Shadow and Firefly. Also, like, stupid deals. Absolutely stupid. Very cool. Mm. I'm dying to see those. Yep. Mm. And, I mean, they easily go for, like, 30 to $40 eBay US. I think I got them each for, like, less than five quid. Oh. Thank you, eBay UK. Also, a figure that I got for about five quid, 1983 Swivel Arm Flash. Oh, wow. <laughs> and, guys, <clears throat> there are three notable G.I. Joe fans who regard Flash as one of their favorites, if not their favorite. Kevin, otherwise known as FormBX257, who we all know for his YouTube reviews. I mean, he's got a pretty exhaustive list of, of material up on YouTube and Blip TV uh, reviewing vintage G.I. Joe toys. Flash is his number one G.I. Joe. Uh, Matt from the G.I. Joe podcast, who sadly, they don't seem to be churning out any more episodes, but his favorite G.I. Joe of all time is Flash. And lastly... I stand to be corrected, but I think Mark Bellamo's favorite G.I. Joe figure was also Flash. I think it said something like that, to that effect, in his foreword. 
when you actually have the figure in hand, it's quite plain to see why this figure is so enduring. The sculpt has a good deal more detail and better proportion detail than his 1982 counterparts. His accessories are beautifully sculpted, very intricate designs, and very, very fine. I'd say the scaling is so, so very dead on with his laser rifle and backpack. They're very dainty pieces, and later vintage G.I. Joes blew their scale out of proportion, but Flash's equipment is beautifully within scale, to the point where I think to myself, this must have been a serious choking hazard back in the day. Because his <laughs> accessories are tiny. His backpack is very dainty. His laser rifle, similarly, has very fine, thin plastic pieces. The stock, the barrel, the underslung barrel, whatever that is, might be a rangefinder, and the hose pipe leading off the back that connects up to the backpack. I mean, it's just a very finely sculpted piece. And the figure itself, also, like knocking it out of the park with the detail. The gauntlets, the padding, the fact that his harness goes over his back. It's a nice shade of silver. And this version that I managed to, to purchase online looks damn fine for an aftermarket figure. One thing that I will note, though, and this is something that I've seen on a number of flashes, it seems like his one leg is longer than the other. Gives him a very uneasy stance. But his, uh, his right leg is, I'd say, about three millimeters longer than his left leg. And it's the, <laughs> lower, it's the lower legs that I think are responsible for that. And you mentioned earlier he's a choking hazard. <laughs> <laughs> choking hazard and in need of special shoes. <laughs> I picked up, and this is, I suppose, going to make you happy, Paul, a mm. mean dog at long last. Oh, cool. Which means I now own all of the G.I. Joe vehicles from 1988. Very cool, man. Congratulations. It's more of a completionist thing than, than out of a strong desire to have the vehicle. Uh, you got it first, Paul, and I always enjoyed playing with your mean dog, but there was always something that was not quite right with that vehicle, and I never really had much of an affinity for it. I guess it just was over-designed. It had too much going on for it. It needed the designer to kind of step off the gas a little bit. I mean, a massive gun in the back, 10 missiles, room for three troops in the front portion, an additional guy manning the back portion, and a guy in the turret. Like, where's the ammunition? Where's the engine? Where It, it didn't make a lot of sense to me. And the, the, the uh, articulated piece that sort of connects the front and back portions and the split apart feature, it was a bit too much toy for my liking. I wanted just a straight up armored car with a big ass gun in it. But the mean dog is just so much more, which I'm sure made it a very aggressive and fun toy back in the day. But uh, I suppose my adult sensibilities always turned up its nose. Take nothing away from the fact that it's a damn fun toy. And to have that mm. crushing over your, your lawn, letting rip with that gigantic chain cannon. I mean, that's some fun right there. I love crushing over some lawn and letting loose with my gigantic chain cannon. Okay, wise guy. <laughs> but also, like, a quiet steel. Ten quid. Nice. 
does the turret gun when you take it out the take it out the back and set it up does it work nicely or is it very flimsy well okay it is why i managed to get it for 10 bucks the turret gun is missing its ring with the three feet oh okay so i mean in many respects i'm kind of grateful it allowed me to get it at a steal and also I don't ever plan on taking the turret gun out and using it as a separate piece. I'm quite happy yeah. to leave it in there. And the tab is nice and Good yeah, the tab hasn't been used. So oh, okay. whoever clipped it in there hasn't removed the cannon. So oh, okay. the tab, there are no stress marks and I don't particularly want to ever remove it, so I don't want to, you know, stress the the old plastic. I'm going to leave it in there as a fixed gun and that makes a whole lot more sense in my mind, because when you take mm -hmm. that cannon out, you know, you've got no crane included with the vehicle to, to conceivably do that. And I don't mm -hmm. think it's the kind of weapon that is man-portable. I doubt you're going to have your mean dog fire team able to, through sheer brute strength, hoist that thing out and set it down. Yeah. So it's, no, that makes it's sense. never set, sat well with me. Yeah, that, that makes sense. I mean, getting it out is fine. You can just imagine it's rockets or something. But no, I agree with what you're saying. Second to last, I got a transportable tactical battle platform. Ooh. Granted, I don't that, even think I know what that is. <laughs> looks like an oil rig. It's awesome. Oh, that thing. I do like that. I just didn't know what it was called. And not for nothing, that does look like an oil rig. And that's what helped me get it for 10 bucks once again, because it was misnamed on eBay as G.I. Joe Oil Rig. <laughs> so unless you were looking for a fantasy item called the G.I. Joe Oil Rig, you weren't likely to find it, unless you scrolled through everything under the filter G.I. Joe. <laughs> you must have been so bored. <laughs> yeah, yeah. To put it mildly, this is what I did. I just typed in G.I. Joe, items within the UK, preferably items that only shipped to the UK to allow me even less competition. Uh, and bingo, it was expiring on a night that I was available to bid on. And uh, let me just say this, the level of detail on this piece puts its contemporaries of that year almost to shame. And I'm including the tower section of the flag. Like the wow. tower section of the flag, not for nothing, it's a great toy, but it's a little, uh, I, I can't say under detailed because it's perfectly adequate, especially given the scale of the entire package that the flag is. But the tactical transportable battle platform, or transportable tactical battle platform, or whatever. It's such a concentrated piece of sculpting and design flair. It, it leaves no nook undetailed. It's really, it's spectacular. I never would have bought this at all. Mm. Uh, it never held any interest for me until I saw it going cheap. <laughs> I must be honest, it's always been something that's caught my eye. But what is it, Paul? I, it's just because it looks like a fun playset. It's like there's so many playsets in the line that are like, okay, there's a G.I. Joe's Fort, okay, for all the HQ, and that's like 
HQ. So you put a whole bunch of Joes there and you put like a Cobra in the prison and you can play all of these like scenarios of prison outbreaks, whatever. <laughs> and then you, you've got the later one that fought America, which, you know, if you unfortunately owned, same thing. It's a base for your GI Joes. But the tactical battle platform, and once again, within this line, it's like the flag and like the Terradrome, although less, less so the flag. But it just seems like a place where, comp- where action happens. It, for me, it just like I've never looked at it as like a GI Joe base. I've always looked at it as like a scenario, a place where you can have stuff happen. Like like uh, you can break it up into these like different small scenarios and things like that. I don't know. It just it just offered up so much more to my imagination, and I really liked it for that. No, it's never mentioned in the kind of list of holy grails. Yes. You're not gonna put it up there with a defiant or even with an MCC. Like, it's kind of just there. And I'm trying to find a use for it, but something about the control section with the swivel chair screams air defense or even air traffic control. Mm. Like, this would make for an excellent tower for a G.I. Joe airbase because it's got a spotlight. It's got computer screens that even have aircraft um, displayed on them. And it's got air defenses. It's got four surface-to-air missiles and a twin chain gun. Yeah, it's just for me, it's just got a lot of application. You can just use it for a lot of different things. In a previous show, when we discussed our showdowns between Cobra and Joe characters, or between Joe and Joe characters, we um, we had a situation where we were on an oil rig, for example, and that could play out really well if you sort of divvy up the scale of that thing in your head a bit, and you just... Break it up into little sections. <laughs> Agreed. Look, I mean, let's face the facts. This thing is, in many respects, representative of a much larger playset. I mean, the helipad is beautiful, but there's not a single G.I. Joe helicopter that looks looks good on it. You definitely can't land a tomahawk, but no. a dragonfly hangs over both edges and kind of makes the whole setup look silly. A Skyhawk looks a bit better, but still, the pad is a small yeah, hexagon. Yeah. The legs extend, don't they? They, kind they of do. Mm. Raise it. Yeah. yeah. Is, it, is it quite significant, the, the size increase? Or? Um, it increases each leg. Well, there, there are two short legs and two longer legs. And in the, in the case of the shorter legs, it doubles their length. And in the case of the longer legs, I'd say it increases the length by a third. So it just raises the... You will, my friend. You will indeed. And it's a beautiful... Well, I mean... I'd love to see it in, like, water or something. You know, like... Here, in a little river or something. Hmm. Well, we'll see if we can set up a a diorama. Um, Outside of the details and its function, absolutely every nook has something going on for it. It's stunning. The armory, the walkway that takes you to the control room the bank of computers, and the decal work is fantastic. The little displays all have actual printed letters. I mean, if you think that this is a new thing with the squiggly lines actually having legible writing, no, 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 my friends, they were doing it in 1985, and they were doing it well. The missile launcher, the ramp, the chain guns, the crane. There's a feature that the box actually indicates, which I must say, I'm curious to try it out, but given the age of the plastic, I'd be very wary. 
if you have four dragonflies, there are four, I suppose, hard points for their cranes to attach to. So mm-hmm. this truly can be a transportable tactical battle platform. Oh, cool. <laughs> so, I mean, the box advertises it being hoisted by four dragonflies and taken from place to place. Now, I imagine that would involve at least you and a friend, preferably four friends, because God knows how many kids had four dragonflies to call upon. So it's it's a very dubious feature to say that this thing can be transported by dragonflies. Not to mention the fact that I think the dragonfly towhook uh, would put serious strain on these little hooks uh, on the playset, because the dragonfly towhook is quite thick. Oh, okay. I keep saying towhook when I mean... Winch. Winch. That's it. The uh, seller of the transportable tactical battle platform included two bonus 1985 figures. Gratis. I mean, people still do that on eBay. I can't believe my eyes, but it happened to me twice in this particular splurge. I got Footloose, which I own. Nice figure. Uh, Good condition. I mean, on its own, this figure could easily go for like $7. And I got Barbecue. Oh, cool. I mean, it's a figure that you'd have to give to me because I would never go out (laughs) and buy it myself. But for that reason, I am an idiot because Vintage Barbecue is freaking amazing. What a hidden gem of the toy line. Not only are his proportions perfect and far better than his 25th anniversary and 30th anniversary re-release, but he's got a little notch on his thigh, which his uh, squirter clips to. Oh, cool. Yeah, it's a great accessory. His axe has a painted feature, which is something that uh, the individual accessories that the vintage figures seldom had. The backpack is a two-part affair. And the figure is just so great in every single way. I fucking love this figure. <laughs> it yeah, makes well, me very happy. And it's in great condition. It was just a you know a giveaway. And it's rocking my world at the moment. Between Barbecue and Flash, my G.I. Joe team has just grown by you know two very very cool members oh that's awesome i'm glad to hear that because those are great like i've heard that barbecue is very cool uh in reviews i've read for the 25th anniversary a lot of people complain that he he's cool but he's not as cool as as the vintage you know some people actually just a a little bit slimmer and a little bit more streamlined the 25th had this bulky shoulder padding made him look like a bit of a football player but it didn't really add anything to the figure if it was part of the sculpt it would lower the figure's profile a bit. The Vintage's shoulder pads are nicely integrated into the sculpt. It's He's got a, a, still got a, a very slim silhouette, quite an athletic-looking figure. His chest piece, which I imagine is uh, an oxygen tank, doesn't protrude too far. It's, it's just a nice, functional G.I. Joe toy. And very fitting that he came with the tactical battle platform because... That's where he made his first comic book appearance. He was just hanging out in a chain locker or something. <laughs> Shipwreck. Shipwreck had some pretty stern words with him for stowing away. But uh, <laughs> he just quipped back like, hey, man, I'm the G.I. Joe firefighter. 
I'm supposed to be here. Here's a transcript of my orders. <laughs> and then I think someone shoots a, a snippy remark. What does a combat unit need with a fireman? <laughs> to which Barbecue responds with, that's what they all say. Until their house is on fire. <laughs> now, if I had been Larry Palmer at the time, I would have penned that slightly differently and said, that's what they all say. Until they're on fire. <laughs> I, th I think we all remember the um, the G.I. Joe PSAs by Fencer Film. Oh, uh, my word. Redubbed PSAs. Bet you won't touch that button, bitch. Check it out. Hey, guys. Uh, you know, it's funny. These people, they go to sleep. They think everything's fine, everything's good. They wake up the next day and they're on fire. G.I. Joe! G.I. Joe! Let's wrap it up on good old barbecue. Fantastic figure. If you don't own the vintage, do yourself a favor. It's, it. it's a good figure. It would make for a, a good rescue team along with Lifeline, in fact. Ah, Good uh -huh. of things to come, or we'll see. <laughs> and probably less exciting than, than the rest, I got Checkpoint Alpha, which is a cool piece. Uh, it's a necessary piece if you want to put together some kind of G.I. Joe HQ dio. Um, you know, you need an approach road and you need a gate. Uh, a lot of action played out at the front gate to uh, the pit, and to the pit two, three, hell, those Quonset huts had a gate. I only wish that the cartoon or comic book actually featured the Checkpoint Alpha. I think it would make for an interesting story. You know, Mutt, a junkyard, just manning the checkpoint all day, monitoring the kind of traffic that G.I. Joe HQ gets. It's, it would be one of those subtler stories, but certainly one that is merited. And I kind of wish those smaller battle stations got some kind of exposure because they were largely ignored and they were such functional real world equipment that it would be easy to slip them in but they always went with some more generic design instead of working with the toy designs which are as, as far as design standpoint concerned perfect it even comes with a clipboard Have, oh cool yeah a clipboard a speed hump a swinging gate with a stop sign on it. That's for that. A little lookout tower with a f searchlight, machine gun, infrared camera, and an antenna. And it's got a computer screen on the inside which has the same display as the shark. Mm. Mm. It seems like Checkpoint Alpha is being attacked by enemy submarines. Might want to look <laughs> that up. That might be a misplaced sticker there. No, friend, I'm pretty sure it's the, the correct sticker, or the intended sticker. Holy shit. Yeah. Stick it on the flag. Makes sense, then. <laughs> and uh, something, once again, <clears throat> something that is not done on eBay anymore, except for these two buyers that I seem to have done recent business with, I got the Cobra Rope Crossing uh, motorized action pack, just as a oh, cool. giveaway, along with the... Uh, Checkpoint Alpha. It's uh, 
It's not something that I'm ever likely to use, but I'm glad I've got it. It's a piece of toy history right there. It's just a slidey rope crossing wind up and go thing. But I think the wind up and go feature has since died. So it's just a basket that slides up and down a rope mm. and can be attached to a figure's back. One thing that is quite notable on the rope crosser, or is it the rope walker? Oh, whatever, it's the Cobra one, so it's cooler, is that it can attach rifles. It's got two storage clips that uh, you can slip a rifle into. That's pretty cool. It's expanding the use of this particular toy. Its level yeah. of interactivity is higher than the rest of the motorized action packs because you can attach a figure, you can attach weapons, you can have it worn on the figure's back, you can have the figure underslung in the basket section. It's a nice piece. It's got a lot going for it, except I don't suppose I'll ever use it. Oh dear. Yeah, well, it's cool to have. It's just one notch in the belt on uh, on the road to having everything. <laughs> no danger <laughs> for the coastal. Yeah, no, no coastal defender. Fuck that. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> or what Cobra battle barge? Jeez. <laughs> so, Paul, you mentioned things were looking like a bit of a drought, and to that, I'll just add the obvious. I mean, you don't need to be a genius to know that there is no fresh mass retail G.I. Joe product anywhere, including the States. And Except for Creos, yeah. Well, yeah, Creos are certainly leading the charge on fresh stuff. But if you're a traditional 3 and 3 quarter inch or 4 inch G.I. Joe collector, your pickings have been pretty slim. And people have been in an uproar about that and a little bit upset. But... I'd just like to echo the sentiment that I heard on What's on Joe Mind most recently, and that's G.I. Joe collecting is a lot more than just G.I. Joe buying. Yeah. In these periods of drought, and there have been and will most certainly be more uh, G.I. Joe drought, it's time to focus on what G.I. Joe is to you. Is it dio story writing? Is it just mm. taking the toys off your shelf and enjoying them for a bit? Is it playing with your niece, nephew, son, daughter, uh, and sharing your childhood adventures with theirs? Is it customizing? Anyone feeling disillusioned at this point about no new product, I'd like you, you to just turn inwards and say, well, what have I already got? I've got this massive collection or, or modest collection, depending on how seriously you take it. Let's uh, treasure that, that stuff for a while. I, yeah. I think there's a lot more to this hobby than just what's next, what's next, what's next. In fact, it's, no, it's a pretty great. sad indictment on all of us if we can only ever enjoy it when there's something new to buy. Like, yeah, everything that we own was once upon a time something that we looked forward to. Something that, like, was in the mail or something that we had yet to buy but we'd heard about it or seen it or discussed it online. Or even as children when we <laughs> put tick marks in the checkbox on our pamphlets and promotional catalogs of the items that we wanted to, to own, like putting together wish lists and slipping that to Santa Claus before Christmas Day, you know, that sort of thing. The anticipation. Everything that we've ever owned was new once upon a time. No, I can agree with that totally. I mean, I, I must say, as right now, I'm taking my Joes off the shelf quite a bit more than I, than I have in the past. And enjoying them. Even making up this team for today's episode, there's one character I'm missing that I would like to have. And 
that would be cool if I could get him because, you know, it just seems to be a bit of a unicorn for me at the moment. But, um, yeah, even making up that team got me, like, looking through my toys and pulling them out and, and deciding which which would be cool for the sets for that team and working out, like, stories and, and ideas for them. And, and that's been a lot of fun for me, actually. And then just to, to add to what you're saying now, I believe Amazon has now opened up something or Hasbro's opened up some licensing now where people can submit fan fiction. Now, fan fiction, I know, is generally despised because... Is it the G.I. Joe portal on Kindle? Yes, that's correct, yes. Yes, all right. Yeah, and I know that fan fiction is yeah, it's quite grossly maligned because it always ends up in My Little Ponies having sex and Naruto characters getting it on. But to, to the more sort of sophisticated writers out there, that is a pretty cool thing um, to have G.I. Joe, a G.I. Joe portal open because many of us have stories. And one of the, the core features to G.I. Joe, for me anyway, has always been that it's been a very great inspirational force. It's, always, it's been inspiring in my artwork and it's been inspiring in my like, sort of story creation as, as a kid and now as an adult and now as a big kid. You know, So on that side, I, I fully agree with that statement that, well fully agree with what you've just said thank you i'm also very keen on that gi joe portal that uh, writing stories for it i've never really mentioned this on the show but a while back i actually sent art to idw and they were happy with what i did but they actually wanted me to send sequential pages and i've never really gotten around to that and what i've seen in the gi joe books recently i really do feel that maybe if i pulled my head out of my ass a little I might be fairly decent at, uh, at delivering sequential art. So I've been but practicing drawing. Cool. When are we going to do books. our comic book? Exactly. That's what I'm talking about. No, but that's, just, that's the you're thing. You're just going to shack up with those IDW guys and, guys, and, yeah. and forget about me. <laughs> I've also been doing a small little project. It's nothing okay. major. Because like I said, like there being a, a bit of a new stuff drought, I've kind of been planning on scratch building a pterodrome because there's no way I can afford it. So I've been doing the due diligence in making blueprints for a pterodrome that I'd like to make. And then in something a little bit more within my grasp, I've been looking at the old G.I. Joe games with quite a sharp eye. And that's all I want to say about that for now. Oh, man. Check AS. And don't so back. we'll see. I'm just looking up certain licensing things with regards to that. But yeah. At this point of the show, I'd like to issue a retraction. One episode back, I speculated that the pending Creo Terradrome didn't look like it could accommodate a Firebat. Well, friends, I do believe the word on the street is that it can indeed accommodate the Firebat. Oh, that's so cool. And that will make the Terradrome a very interactive toy, Creo toy at least, with a Firebat parked in the roof and the ferret that's included with the G.I. Joe Outpost Defender set parked in one of the parking bays, it does indeed look like a cool vehicle base, almost more so than the original Terradrome. So Creo is forging ahead with great products. If I was a child, that would be a smart bomb. I would not be able to stop myself because I bought everything, any military product, regardless um, of the scaling and considering that it's compatible with Lego even more so mm-hmm. nowadays I'm a bit jaded and adult <laughs> and I know my tastes and I've kind of focused purely on vintage three and three quarter inch GI Joe so Creo 
hell, I, I wouldn't say no to a set uh, just out of interest's sake. Mm. Uh, if I haven't seen it in the flesh, but it's not something I'd go out of my way for. And to that end, I think I'll be going to Toys R Us tomorrow with high hopes that the Firebat Wolverine pack might might just happen to be there. Mm, that would be cool. Got a few crisp uh, pound notes that I'd happily lay aside. For a chance really to get a Creo Recondo, I mean, how sweet would that be? Yeah, I've asked a friend of mine in the States, a friend of mine in Florida, he goes to Toys R Us because he's got kids. And he said he would pick up some Creo blind packs for me. Nice. Mm, you don't so want to that's... slip him the codes of the, the particular figures that you're after. I don't want him to sit there and have to sort through that stuff. I believe that like the fact that he's willing to do it is cool enough. But it might be your only chance to get a Creo Alley Viper. Come on. I don't know. We we live in the age of the internet. I'm pretty sure we'll be able to pick those up in the future. All right, gentlemen. Let's get into our topic for episode 32. Subgroups. And most specifically, new subgroups. We kind of let our imagination run wild with this one. But we needed to rein it back ever so slightly. This subteam has five members with a possibility of expansion, but five initial members to kind of put it in line with, I suppose, eco-warriors and ninja force and that sort of thing. We're also opening our minds to the possibility of vehicles. But in order to save on tooling costs, because we all know that's a big thing for either Hasbro or the convention sets, the G.I. Joe Collectors Club who put out the convention sets, so we have limited our selections to essentially part-swapping, Frank and joe Mm-hmm. relying most heavily on new color schemes to bring out the characters themselves. I think, Paul, because this topic selection came from you, you can kick it off, boy. I'll open it up. Okay, just something to note as well. Uh, I'm sure my, my fellow partners in crime have also been having a bit of difficulty on deciding on, on exactly which Joes or Cobras would make up their special force. Um, I'd just like to, to send a shout-out to Hasbro saying, we do understand that it's not an easy thing to do. <laughs> I've actually, because of the amount of time I had to sort out the topic, I actually came up with both a Joe and a Cobra team. I wasn't sure if you guys went Joe or Cobra, but I think I've got a fairly strong feeling you guys are both going Joe. Um, so I, I will go with Cobra, because that's where it started out in my mind as a Cobra team. Basically, I'm calling them the Venom squad or venom team other names were venom division but then when you shorten that it's vd so I thought, <laughs> just <laughs> so to clear I up settled. no no relation to mobile assault strike command venom from mosque oh jeez, yeah no no didn't think of that at all actually i was just thinking of cool snake things what i did is essentially it's going to be a repaint of existing figures to keep the tooling costs low so the team is it's an alley viper a night viper Oh, big surprise. I know, right? You're expecting <laughs> these guys. I'm undecided on these two, but for in terms of rank, the Lamprey, the Range Viper, and then they are led by Firefly. Now, Firefly was a difficult choice because Firefly, I know, is associated with the ninjas, but they've never actually used Firefly in the Ninja Force sets ever. So I figured, okay, well, it's okay. And we don't have Firefly with any other group. And because the purpose of this team is that they are an anti-G.I. Joe squad. They are designed specifically to take out G.I. Joe members. They are like a, a like hit an squad. an assassination squad. 
Yeah, so they're made of the best of the best from the different ranks. The best Alley Vipers, the best Night Viper, the best Lamprey, the best Range Viper, and the best Firefly. <laughs> I went with the Lamprey because we need a vehicle driver. You know, it kind of reminds me of a squad, of a fantasy group of Cobras that I put together in my youth, led by Zartan, for pretty much the same purpose. They were called the Z-Men. Z-Men. <laughs> I mean, this is before I thought the Dreadnoughts were cool. I didn't have any Dreadnoughts back then. The thing is, Zartan was a very possible member of the team, but then he was like in Ninja Force, and I tried to get... And he's I a Dreadnought. Get... I mean... And he's a Dreadnought. He's, so he's got his own subset. Up. Yeah, so... I was like, uh, let's go with this. Then the the colors for them is kind of crazy because I'm trying my best to avoid using black and color. But I kind of thought a lot of these dudes would look really cool in like black and purple. Let's be properly 90s about this, you know, <laughs> and make them like black and purple or like black and lumo green. And they would have some kind of firefly would kind of fit in in that regard from that from that timeline. Not that I'd use that firefly anyway. So this team would be specially formulated to go and just give Joe a lot of hell. Their special colors would relate to the fact that they have some kind of upgraded version of the Pythonizing process, and it makes them all stealth-like. And they... Wow, they're not only the anti-G.I. Joe assassination squad, but they are Python Patrol members too. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, like in true Cobra fashion... I don't want to go. defeating black ball paint. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, that kind of madness that they throw into the, the whole thing. I couldn't quite think of how far I wanted to go with it, but I did want to sort of play on the idea that their armor and stuff has been upgraded with special nanotechnology. Would be... <laughs> Nano. Oh, dear. Yep, yep. The MacGuffin. To end yeah, all the guffins. Exactly. Pre-G.I. Joe, Nano, more Metal Gear Solid Nano. Um, we can only hope so. And then the vehicles that would go with it would be a Hammerhead, because that's a vehicle that needs to be retooled and re-released and colored in mm-hmm. black and purple. Totally agree. <laughs> and this is the way the color scheme is a problem, right? Because, like, and I'm really cheaping out here, but the other vehicle is the Mamba. Okay, we don't even have to recolor it. Okay. Oh. <laughs> Originally, when I did this, they were green and black. So I thought like a very cool green and black neon mumbo would look cool. But then the a hammerhead poses the problem of having that color scheme. So it would kind of be like green and black with, with that kind of purple like mesh or some kind of purple hex pattern or something like that, which would formulate part of their armor and part of the vehicle coloring. Much like how the Python Patrol uses that silver netting and how Tiger Force uses Tiger Stripes, I would use something much in that vein. So, like... Radar defeating Tiger Stripes. Yeah, well, Venom-injected anti-radar camouflage. So that's kind of... I think think you're marketing this line on their sort of attractive look, and it's nice to have that assembly of Cobra troops all sporting the same color scheme. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's a good point of departure. I don't know if their specialty makes them all that special. I mean... They're specifically tasked with taking out G.I. Joe. Well, I think that's kind of most of Cobra's uh, primary occupation. No, true. But the idea here is that, yeah, they'll use next-generation modern technology to take out G.I. Joe's strong arm of peace or something, you know? (laughs) You know, they'll rip the wings of the eagle. (laughs) And then what I thought would be a nice touch to these figures 
would be to give them all their own head sculpts so that they are individual characters. Uh. So the Addy Viper wouldn't just have a Bella Clave. He would actually be a, a dude with a face sculpt. And the Night Viper would be a dude with a face sculpt. And same with the Lamprey, and same with the Range Viper, and the same, oh, obviously Firefly, we never see his face, but he's Firefly, he, he's allowed to have a hoodie. No, uh, Firefly I'll... needs like a, an action feature that kind of blurs his face. Yes. Like, oh. it makes his head vibrate from side to side. You know, generally, I hate, I hate action features, but now you've just mentioned something that could be quite cool. When there's no sunlight on the figures, they're all black. So when the sunlight comes onto them, they get like purple venom camouflage. When they don't have any sunlight, they go all black. Now you're making up a subgroup. They've got to have a feature. Totally. <laughs> Color change battle damage. Yes. Judo chop action. No. Sonic weapons. <laughs> yes. <laughs> cool, okay, dude. Robert, we haven't heard enough of your voice. So... My team is its very direct. It's very simple. I mean, it's all in the name. I just decided to create the G.I. Joe Cyber Squad. Oh, yeah? So the, the main purpose of, or objectives, they're anti-cyber electronic terrorism. So <laughs> they don't have to be... <laughs> I'm not, existing, I'm not existing Joes or new ones? You no, definitely all, all, all existing Joes just basically repainted so that they kind of meet the color scheme that I kind of came up with. I'm going to guess. I'm going to guess oh. it's going to be Breaker. It's going to be Mainframe. It's going to be Dialtone. Those are some good guesses. The uh, one out of three. Good oh, job, shit. Steven. <laughs> well, okay. So the, the members of the squad, the, the one you've already mentioned, Mainframe, is definitely in there. Mm. Because of his uh, computer technology um, primary specialty. The other ones aren't as very much computer technology-esque. But I mean, I wanted to come up with a team that would be interesting. And you could possibly even follow in like a comic book series. Or I was just trying to think of a cool team that, that would create interesting dynamics. Like character-wise and like really cool stories you could do with them. So mainframes in there. And then they would have a pilot and it'd be slipstream because oh. weirdly, weirdly enough, his secondary. Um, well, not weirdly enough, actually, because I mean, he's the, he's the pilot of the conquest, which is a fairly advanced plan, you know, with the sort of swift forward wing design. And his secondary military specialty is computer technology as well. So you've got two really cool tech guys on there, and having a pilot on the team also helps because then you have someone who can also fly. You know, the one vehicle that I will mention is part of the team. So there is main, mainstream, <laughs> flip, mainstream. That, that's slipstream. a cool name. <laughs> main mainframe and slipstream, and then the commander of the team would be Chuckles. Oh, cool! Nice one. Because, because I mean, he's criminal investigations division, so he's got that sort of background of investigation, and I think that helped the team a lot. And he's got a background in intelligence as well. And intelligence in this day and age, I think, has moved very much into this, you know, the sort of technology realm and the sort of cyber internet type realm. And definitely having someone at, at your head who knows a lot about criminals and investigations and stuff like that, I think was pretty cool. It's G.I. Joe Interwebs Force. Yeah, it's kind of like a, like a CTU, you know, I'm kind thinking, of like that. Yeah, I'm thinking along the lines of like IMF. Yes, exactly. You know, yeah, 
Chuckles is Tom Cruise, Ethan Hawke, Ethan Hunt, Ethan Hunt. Mm-hmm. And he's got yes. his backup team of like the dude with the gadgets and the dude who flies the helicopter. And <laughs> there'll be some sexy bitch, right? Huh. Jinx. <laughs> Jinx. Bingo. Yes. Sweet. Right. <laughs> and she had a lot of that spy angle in uh, the Devil's Due comics that yeah, put her in yeah. like a, a black leather cat suit. With a zip, very S and M down the front. Ooh. Exactly. Not so sure about she that. But it and was then, down the front of her face mask. Uh, which I thought was a cool idea. <laughs> oh come on, that is just stupid. That is wet dream fanboy garbage. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so commanded by Chuckles, Slipstream, Jinx, Mainframe, and Scoop. Oh, I knew you were gonna put Scoop in there. Nice. Yeah, Scoop. Scoop oh. needs some love, and I think the only love, the only way he's gonna get it is by being in a sub team, a subset. He'll never be single carded again. But he makes sense Definitely. in your assortment. I'm gonna guess. Next. I'm gonna guess that he was the reason you chose this particular concept. <laughs> yes, it, it was actually because I wanted to put Scoop into a team. <laughs> And it's the only way that I could think of putting him into a team. Well, I, I don't know. You could do what the journalism, I don't know, the, the newsboys. I could have made a newsboys team, but uh, uh. that would have been just weird. But, I mean, he's a journalist, and, of course, journalism, once again, has moved into this sort of, like, information age. And also his secondary specialty is microwave transmission specialist. And a lot of transmissions, I mean, it's just a description of the type of transmissions. I mean, that has to deal with a lot, a wide range of technology from antennas to radar to space-based systems. So, I mean, he, he can help with the capturing of information and sort of intercepting of signals, which, I mean, was, was another big part, I thought, of the whole team. Just giving them a lot of different specialties, and they can all work together to be a really cool team. It's so funny uh, that you say that, Rob. Sorry, man, just to jump mm-hmm. in. Because the Joe Force that I came up with for this show as a backup was, I called him G.I. Joe Techno Force. Nice. And the leader is Sci-Fi, and he's joined yeah. by Dial Tone, Lady J, Mercer, and Stalker. And the way I sort of saw this playing out is like a TV show, so that I could be these four guys and Lady J, like, you know, Sounds like a party. international territory. Except <laughs> <laughs> I wonder what the terrorism. fourth guy does. <laughs> Hold the camera, dude. <laughs> wow. uh, I mean, that's why I need Scoop in my team. <laughs> <laughs> He's the guy who holds the camera, definitely. But yeah, man, it's like so crazy because I, I was also like, when you started mentioning it, I was like, oh wow, that's so cool. Rob and I had the same idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I had a lot of other guys that I, I considered including in the team. I mean, like. Definitely Sci-Fi was, was one of one of my big options, and he was kind of like the like standby member. Yeah. And then with enough quick kick as well. Yeah, I, like I just, a martial arts dude. Yeah, I just wanted some sort of martial arts thing in there, and his infantry and intelligence, and I thought that was cool. Um, yeah, I had a whole long list of sort of secondary people. Countdown was another choice as a pilot. Okay. Um, and then Quick also... Kick's got a lot going for him, actually. If you explore it a little bit deeper, I mean, apart from the fact that he's dead and all, but he's <laughs> got a more colourful origin story than most Joes. 
mean, he worked as a stuntman yeah. for crying out loud. Yeah. I mean, he's proficient in martial arts, sure, but like, he's probably well traveled. He's probably fluent in a few languages. I'd like to think. I don't know. Maybe I'm being racist. Maybe he is as thoroughbred American as they come. But uh, fudgy bar. He just seems like a colorful character and 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 would work well in undercover situations. Yeah, because definitely. He's, I mean, that's he's definitely I'm... not your typical special forces looking dude. He's a lot more unassuming. Yeah, so I struggled to choose between like Quick Kick and um, and Jinx. Not not just because they're both kind of Asian. <laughs> I, I think you went with the, Asian in the team. You went with the right decision. I think it's essential to have a female on a team like this, especially yeah, totally. if they're handling the same kind of mission profiles as like, you know, the IMF or. CT, CT, yeah, CSI or NCIS or yeah, those sort of teams. I mean, uh, well, one one guy who I thought of also putting in was a DJ. <laughs> no, yeah, the dead, funny, I thought dead of Joe. His uh, his secondary specialty is infantry, and then in, in brackets all the way. <laughs> or what? It's it's on his barcode. It actually says that infantry oh, all the way. It's great. Yeah, so that's my team. Commanded by Chuckles. The Slipstream it would be his XO, his sort of second in command. And then Jinx and Mainframe and Scoop. Hmm. And as I said, yeah, anti-cyber slash electronic terrorism, just focusing on that, um, trying to track down people trying to, you know, I don't know, steal information and that sort of thing. Not just that, but I mean, it's that sort of stuff. With that kind of force, you really, the sky is the limit, actually, because there's a lot of cool stories that can be told with a team like that. It's a big jumping-off point. I mean, the team itself, I think, creates a lot of ideas for play, which, which I thought was very important to kind of ensure that when you see the team, you're like, oh, that's so cool. Yeah. I want to play with these guys. I can see what I'm going to do with them. It's refreshing to not have, you know, just green army men. These exactly. guys have have a very specific task and they work well as a team. So their, their subset is more adult marketed than yeah. just like, here, it's a bunch of guys with the same color scheme and a few exclusive vehicles. Boom. Speaking exactly. of vehicles, what are you? I, I like uh, the idea of the Hurricane VTOL. Mm-hmm. It kind of comes with that little miniature drone thing, which I thought was cool. You could use that in missions. And then the and it's a co- can hold two 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 characters. Exactly. Um, and then the the one that was a complete no-brainer for me at least, <laughs> and it would be so easy to fit into the color scheme when I when I mention the color scheme would be the Rhino. Uh-huh. Okay. Because once again, it, it comes with a, a helicopter built into it, and it and it can hold all the troops, and it has the compartments where it kind of looks like they could be working inside there. Yeah. Like a mobile command center type thing. Excuse the. Yeah, but with with the added helicopter function, that's yeah. that's cool. That's two vehicles in one right there. That's why I own yeah. the Rhino actually. Can we get carry on? Sorry, man. Yeah, it's beautiful. I, I love the Rhino. And then and then basically just just because I like it, just the modern vamp Mark II. <laughs> that's in my one as well. <laughs> Because and it holds it would hold all of them and that, I tried to come up with names for them. The hurricane would have been called the Freaker. What pray tell is the Freaker? Oh well, the Freaker at least um it's what the what a, the original computer hackers were called or how they did they did over phones. 
Yeah. And it happened in the 60s. And they would oh, use they'd imitate imitations. the phone sounds with their mouths. Yes, by using, yeah, they'd use electronic recording devices on their mouths mm-hmm. and using tones with a whistle. And then they would use that to kind of trick systems. Yeah. Basically. Amazing. So that's what freaking is. And then the rhino would have been called the, the firewall because it breaks through everything. And so it's cool. It's cool, the firewall. And then I struggled with the with the with the vamp because the, the, I couldn't find any other really cool terms. So I just thought of a, the DOS attack jeep. DOS standing for denial of service attack. <laughs> it's often a thing that happens to websites when they go down. Yeah. It seems to me so, like mainframe was responsible for all the vehicle naming. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it like plays into his techie sense of humor because i mean yeah jinx and chuckles are far more street i mean they're, they're far more yeah. like your point man on undercover operations because, maybe yeah, maybe it's an in-joke between slipstream and mainframe yeah cool. i think it's probably more like like nicknames they gave the vehicles yeah right. that's that's the and, thing and chuckles like... chuckles sticks with the, the sort of the actual classification like this is the btr 17 <laughs> L T S one nine one mainframe and such like yeah whatever it's the freaker yo. But like in that uh, Tales of the Cobra Wars that novel, uh, one of the stories there is about a Joe team that goes to infiltrate a Cobra facility, and that Cobra facility is full of computers. And what did what are they actually doing there is data mining. It's a front. It's a data mining hub. But what they do is they have these like setups, these server setups where they've got guys playing like World of Warcraft and stuff like that getting gold and they're actually leeching the funds of that to fund their R&D and that wow. would be a cybercrime type thing so that's where like your team would be involved that's like you know like how that would play out I think yeah, exactly. I, they'd find out about it they'd track down the information they'd send in chuckles chuckles and or jinx to investigate um, and then take them down no fucking yeah. way dude they'd send chuckles and jinx into the Pentagon, Everything. into that room with the lasers and the pressure sensitive floor, <laughs> catching you know beads of sweat off their forehead. That's the kind of shit they'd be doing. Yeah, and then when shit gets heavy, they call Flipstream in with the hurricane to just blow shit up. <laughs> Fucking World of Warcraft, Paul. Oh. Stop reading books, damn it. <laughs> but, but I'm just polluting saying, your mind with that crap. Uh, <laughs> uh, there's Stephen Stone's on reading is golden. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you very much. Go watch yourself some Mission Impossible. <laughs> or go and read some like Tom Clancy. I, I mean, watch a Tom Clancy movie, Patriot Games. <laughs> um, and then otherwise, yeah, I mean, color scheme. I was kind of just thinking of like blue, silver, and maybe black. I mean, like the base of the uniform being blue. With sort of black and silver accents, mm. but in general, I mean, because of what they're doing, they probably wouldn't even need to all be in the same outfits. You could just update their their current looks, and it, and it would fit. I mean, chuckles like you could just give him a normal shirt or something, you know. Yes, doesn't look the five O. But just a not, a different look, just so that he doesn't, you know, he's not once again in the Hawaii shirt. Give him a dinner jacket. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Or black tie. Or like a black turtleneck or something. I, I like turtlenecks. Johnny Barracuda. 
<laughs> yeah, I was thinking the same thing. Ah, <laughs> oh, Danger Girl, what happened to you? I think I yeah. discovered my adolescence on that comic book. The artwork is amazing. Oh, yeah. Abby Chase. Puberty, puberty. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> Actually, for me, I love the humor in that book. Sorry. I think the humor blows my mind. Just I, I love the size of the humor and the, the volume <laughs> and the motion that the humor seems to have when it's, <laughs> when it's running or jumping. <laughs> or when it's wet, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wet humor. Well, anyway, so that that's my team. The the concept and like it, it's just all rides on the on the, the members and creating ideas within people's minds. Basically, they could come with essentially the original accessories, maybe throw in a computer or two for people that don't come with them. I mean, I think the original figures just are, are cool themselves. I mean, even Slipstream with his cool sort of like. Weird leather leggings or something he's wearing. Uh, <laughs> strange. Joe S and M Force. <laughs> that yeah, that's in the follow-up episode. <laughs> <laughs> Cover Girl, Jinx, Lady J, Scarlet. Oh man, uh, there was a an issue of GI Joe Special Missions that was actually penned by uh, quite a notable GI Joe artist, Herb Trimpey. Right, cool. And it featured oof, Lady J, Covergirl, Scarlet, and Jinx as cheerleaders at a baseball match. Oh, Lord, I've read that one, yeah. I haven't. I it's don't know if that's garbage. a Well, is. okay, look, maybe maybe it was just kind of slipped in there for a bit of fun and a few laughs. But it was a real cheap shot. And Herb Trimpey has done far better issues in the past, I find. But that was not his finest work. I do like his art, however. Yeah, I do like Herb Trump's art quite a bit. Definitely, that that issue was very well done. <laughs> and I suppose First. that leaves it with uh, with my sub team. Let me just say right off the bat, I have a love hate relationship with subgroups, as most of us do. The fact that GI Joe and Cobra need to be broken down into further smaller sub teams kind of break up the flow of what is essentially a special forces unit that caters to any situation that it should find itself in. Why do we need a team of five guys who specifically do this or specifically do that? These guys are night force. These guys are tiger force. These guys are sky patrol. And they jump out of aircraft. But hang Mm. on. Shouldn't every G.I. Joe member be able to jump out of an aircraft? The ninja force. Okay. You're rolling your eyes, right? The Ninja Force requires not only you to be a G.I. Joe member and be a proficient special ops soldier, but also to be a flamboyant martial artist who dresses funny in pajamas. That's right. Tell with military tradition. Okay. That aside, I mean, that was just to sell colorful toys. (laughs) Because, let's face it, all G.I. Joes should also be martial artists in some way, shape, or form. You're a special forces trooper, for God's sake. If you don't have some kind of close combat ability, you're useless. As Storm Shadow would say, I do not need any weapons. My body in itself is a weapon. I do not need any weapons. A ninja is a weapon. He probably said it just (laughs) like that, too. So, sub-teams have broken up the flow a bit in 
But then you look at extremely specialized units, something like the eco-warriors. I mean, these guys are like PhD writers. They are ecologists. They're not only G.I. Joes, but they are environmentalists and they are scientists. So that's, that's an example of a sub-team that works. With that in mind, I set about trying to figure out a cool sub-team. Let's face it, I could have just as easily said, let's do the Sky Patrol. It's because those are all unique characters. A lot of that tooling exists already. And there would be some fan service being paid there because, let's face it, a lot of people like the Sky Patrol. They're a cool bunch of new characters and they have a very functional real-world purpose. But... I kind of wanted to do something more fantastical in the line of the eco warriors, something more specialized, something more interesting. So I started thinking, what if Cobra started mucking around with the time stream? What if you needed oh. a specific hand-picked bunch of G.I. Joes to go back into various key moments of time and fight for freedom wherever there's trouble? T-Races are there. <laughs> over land, sea, and air, and back in history. The inspiration that I had for this sub-team was the most recent sculpt of Budo, who looks out of place in any strict G.I. Joe assortment, but would probably look pretty spiffy in some kind of ancient Japanese court. So expand upon that and you might be able to generate a Western-themed figure or a Space Age-themed figure. But... The problem I had with this particular idea was you'd have a sub-team of individualists, and that doesn't really make much of a team. Also, you have no other figures to populate the worlds that they'll be existing in. So in terms of a play pattern, you're sunk. They'd make for colorful toys, but in terms of a unifying storyline, it doesn't really work so well. So I shelved that idea, even though... <laughs> Pat myself on the back. It's a good one. Oh, I agree. Well, it's a it's a col it's a colorful one, but I, I I've eventually lost favor with it, and it's a pity because it's something that my girlfriend actually got kind of fired up about one night. She was like, "Yeah," and they could all have you know the same basic molding underneath, but have um, various sort of vests and add-on accessories that bring out the flavor. Like with Budo, you can see all that additional armor and stuff make him a samurai warrior. And with yeah. the Western character, a Stetson and like a bullet belt with, you know, revolvers hanging off it, that would kind of set him as the Western dude. Mm. So, yeah, it's, it's a very creative and imaginative idea, but I didn't want to go with that. I then, for a laugh, thought, hmm, what are all the sort of maniacal, crazy comic book villains that Cobra had in its pantheon of characters that haven't been done yet. You're looking at Voltar. You're looking at Crystal Ball. You're looking at Raptor. <laughs> and I thought to myself, what's the unifying factor amongst these guys apart from the fact that they are like Machiavellian, moustache-twisting bad guys, like very classic villain-looking types? I'd like to think that the unifying factor really is the fact that they were all peg warmers. I don't <laughs> think they were very popular figures. So they'd be the peg warmer squad. And uh, just for namesake, I think DJ would find favor in that group because as a member of the Battle Force 2000 that kind of missed the boats and was released the year after Battle Force 2000, 
he's pretty much a unicorn and not really a desirable one. He's more of a, an island that no one particularly wants to visit. Mm. So that was my jokey idea. But what I ultimately wound up going with, and after much consideration, and actually being situated here in the UK at the moment, uh, this is probably what tipped the scales in favor of it. I would want a re-release of Action Force's Z-Force. Now, a little bit of backstory on the G.I. Joe Action Force split, for those of you who aren't already aware. G.I. Joe toys were released in the United Kingdom under the Action Force banner. What might be less clear to listeners, and perhaps to you fellas, is that Action Force had its own characters and own sculpts in pre-existence. They were just five points of articulation figures similar to Star Wars figures. Yeah, put in the G.I. Joe line. Well, it was put in they were put into the Action Force line. Action yeah, Force sorry. started off as the scaled down version of Action Man, who was the British equivalent of the twelve inch G.I. Joe. So when three and three quarter inch G.I. Joe appeared, Pally Toy, who were the UK uh, producers of Action Man answered with their own three and three quarter inch figures, which were along the same lines as the Star Wars figures, which were already doing very well, obviously, on the back of Star Wars. So similar to Star Wars, they had five points of articulation. The sculpts were magnificent, but of course the articulation wasn't on par. And there were a few unique characters that really stood out. They had four subsets in the initial run. There were the SAS, which were series of really darkly colored figures, uh, paratroopers, frogmen, all in blacks and grays. They had the Q-Force, which were the aquatic specialists. They had a bunch of divers and marine equipment. equipment. There was the Space Force, which, I mean, the name speaks for itself. Uh, I'd say they were the weakest of the sub-teams, simply because they looked very kind of Buck Rogers, very clean, not particularly convincing spacemen. They kind of were clunky and, and dressed in white, which wasn't a very attractive color, I'd say. And then finally, there was the Z-Force. And Z-Force really captured my imagination for a number of reasons. Most notably, the fact that they incorporated into them O-Ring G.I. Joe figures. In the first two years of the Action Force toys by Pally Toy, Z-Force had the biggest helping of O-Ring figures. They had Steeler, they had Scarlet, they had Stalker, and they had Gung-Ho. But they were all renamed and given their own unique characters, all except for Steeler, who was a tank driver, and let's face it, a tank driver is a tank driver is a tank driver. Mm. Stalker was renamed Jammer, and he was a communications expert that came with the 1983 G.I. Joe headquarters, except Palitoy recolored the headquarters, and more on that later. Gung-Ho was renamed Gaucho. <laughs> oh, I know that name, yeah. <laughs> and he was a mechanic uh, and mechanical engineering specialist, combat engineer. He also came with the HQ, which makes a lot of sense, because what has the HQ got? It's got a computer bay, and it's got two vehicle bays. Mm. So include a computer guy and include a vehicle guy. Scarlet was renamed Quarrel 
mm-hmm. also a unique character, and they were led by a character who on his card was simply called Captain, but in the commercial, he was named Grant Campbell. Cue commercial. The latest attacks led by Baron Ironblood and his evil forces, seen here in exclusive coverage, have forced the country to take action. With me in the studio tonight is the squad leader from the newly formed SAS and the head of the new Z-Force, Captain Grant Campbell, who will be taking command of their combined troops at a secret destination later tonight. More news as it's made from new Action Force. Now, the cool thing about Z-Force is... They were all colored the same, essentially. I mean, they had, obviously, unique molds. But their typical color motif was black and green. And all their vehicles shared the same coloring. The HQ came in black and green and had far more intricate decals and stickers than the G.I. Joe 1983 HQ. In fact, a lot of the wall paneling had either computer screens or stickers that brought out mechanical details, or tools, or fire extinguishers. It had a lot more going on on the interiors of the playset. And the stickers, I think, were of a better quality, because, let's face it, the 1983 G.I. Joe HQ stickers kind of leave a lot to be desired. Some of them are really quite hokey, like having Cobra Commander perpetually displayed on your screen, and Scarlet perpetually displayed on the screen next door. I mean, they even went as far in the G.I. Joe release as having a actual panel from G.I. Joe issue number one, which makes very little sense to me. It's like, were they filming this particular mission? <laughs> and they decided to play it on loop? I don't know. It's a fun and colorful image, but perhaps um, not the best in terms of suspension of disbelief. kind of makes it look more like a baby toy in my honest opinion. The lineup of characters kind of speaks for itself. You'd have the leader, Captain Grant Campbell, which basically is like a flint or falcon knockoff, but with a red beret and a green and black uniform. You would have Quarrel, aka Hedda Pulver, who kind of departs from Scarlet's story in that she's just as much of a martial artist and proficient in the same weapons, but her motorbikes are her thing. Ever since she was a young girl, she was into riding, and she came with the Rapid Assault Motorcycle, or RAM, which, once again, is recolored in black and green. They've done a modern-era version of Quarrel. It's a very attractive figure, and reason enough to expand the set, I'd say. Gaucho, a.k.a. Rico Gonzalez, well, that's a straight-up gung-ho re-release with dark green pants and a red, or I'd like to think it's slightly orange, in fact, jacket. And it just makes him look that much more like a mechanic. And let's face it, gung-ho's signature look with the open shirt doesn't look too appropriate on frontline battlefields. So mm-hmm. keeping him in the motor pool, I think, <clears throat> is, a, is a very good idea and a winning Winning look for the man. Jammer, a.k.a. Kelvin Mondale, is also straight-up stalker repaint, but done up in the black and green signature Z-Force camo pattern. I've already mentioned that Quarrel would come with the Ram, but I would suggest a slight renaming of the Ram to its German name, which is Mm -hmm. 
Turbo. <laughs> the second vehicle I would include with them is the AF3, which is a Jeep essentially, and it might look a lot like the Vamp, but in fact it holds four figures, and the roof section detaches to form a boat. And I always thought that was kind of neat. It's two vehicles in one, and something that a Special Forces unit would get a lot of benefit from. Yeah, it's modular. Once again, I'd go with the German title for it, which is Blitz Buggy. And last but not least, and this is perhaps one of the most sought-after toys uh, from that initial run of Z-Force, and perhaps the initial run of the Action Force, and it's the ATC, which is the G.I. Joe's APC, but with some rather unique twists. For instance, the interior is set out like a mobile command center with readouts, displays, there's a computer console, there's a stretcher bed on the one side and troop storage on the other side. The turret has an opening hatch, so you can actually seat a figure inside it. And it's replete with detail. It essentially makes for a very neat mobile command headquarters. And as I say, it's extremely sought after on the aftermarket. It also has four rockets mounted on the top, just to bolster its offensive capabilities beyond that of the G.I. Joe amphibious personnel carrier. Now, I've only mentioned four figures. And that's because I've been saving the fifth spot for the generic infantry trooper. Quite a strong emphasis in the early Action Force figures. You had a few named characters, but by and large, you'd have a force of nameless, imprintable infantrymen or frogmen. They just kind of traded on their specialty and didn't flesh out individual characters. In retrospect, the individual characterization of figures was a strength of G.I. Joe, But back in 1982, it was anybody's guess. And you were coming off the back of the 12-inch figures, which were essentially uh, imprintable, and there was less hard and fast characterization happening. Yeah, they were your dads and uncles and stuff. Absolutely. They were just (laughs) regular Joes. But I like the idea of holding out a spot on your team for, like, an army builder character. We see that with the Steel Brigade. We see that, obviously, with Cobra and their various Vipers. But for your sub-team to have that <laughs> essentially green shirt or cannon fodder figure, you expand your sub-team into a legitimate army. And I'd like to think of the Z-Force as occupying a, a similar place to a specialized unit with a larger membership than just five. Because let's face it, in my mind, Z-Force are the standout action force team. If anything screams the British contingent of G.I. Joe, it's Z-Force. Uh, it's quite funny that you mentioned Z-Force because <clears throat> recently I walked into a, a store with my G.I. Joe shirt on and the guy at the counter was telling, was like, he went blood for the Baron and I was like, what? And I'm like, oh, so you're, like, you're an Action Force fan? And he's like, yeah, no, he loves Action Force and blah, blah, blah. And he was like, so do you know G.I. Joe? And I'm like, yeah. I don't just wear the shirt. <laughs> and we just started talking and he was like telling me about it, his collection and all kinds of stuff, which he gave away to his nephews or something. But he's just telling me he had like like the whole Z Force and everything and I was like, Oh, that's pretty cool. And now your little like what you've mentioned now has actually coloured that up quite a bit more for me now. 
Z-Force put out a lot of G.I. Joe early stuff in its own coloring. And some of the items that I'd love to expand the sub-team to include are the pack rats. But Z-Force went one step further. They didn't just call them pack rat flamethrower, pack, pack rat missile launcher, pack rat machine gun. The missile launching pack rat was called Dart. The machine gun was called Lance. And the flamethrower was called Shaft. <laughs> there are also some interesting other items that they put out. The AF-7 was a multi-purpose vehicle which looks really hokey, granted, but it was a truly transformable piece of equipment. It had a land mode. It then sprouted wings and became an aircraft. And then you could fold the wings back and turn it into a boat. So we see like a proto-mask idea mm. creeping in. As early as the initial run of Action Force, you had this transformable vehicle gimmick, which is something that has been done to various degrees of success later on by G.I. Joe, but right out of the gate in 1982, the designers at Pally Toy were on it. They knew that kids wanted to have multiple different ways of playing with their vehicles. And so the AF-7, sorry, the AF-5 <laughs> uh, delivered. And also, within the same breath, the AF-7 was essentially a base that fitted onto a flotation collar, which had a deep-sea dive um, platform. So that was almost like a proto-transportable tactical battle platform. That's pretty cool. Does this mean that we're going to see some action force vehicles in your collection soon? Well, I showed you guys that uh, auction for that vehicle. That was the Action Force Jeep, the AF-3. I like that Jeep. That was cool. But it was missing a lot of parts. Oh. It's got multi-positional uh, machine gun, which you can put in various ports. And also the roof, which, as I say, snaps off and becomes a oh. artboard, a, a boat. I mean, that's taking the vamp, expanding its capacity. It can hold two more troops. And then you've got a boat for a roof. I think that's just, yeah, that's pretty free and awesome. I'd be remiss if I didn't make notable mention of the enemies that the early action force came up against. And these have been done to some degree in a convention exclusive for Rollout Roll Call 2010. (laughs) If anyone managed to get their hands on those. I'm referring to none other than the Red Shadows, led by Baron Ironblood, second-in-command, the Black Major, and they had some interesting uh, other characters, one being a reptilian character called Kraken, who I imagine was the Red Shadows' answer to the Q-Force, or underwater uh, detachment. The Kraken would no doubt be some kind of amphibious beast that... uh, led the red shadows beneath the waves. Then they had a bunch of other characters. I mean, Jackal is essentially a repaint of Destro with a red shadows logo on his chest. And Red Laser is a repaint of Cobra Commander, except he's just the figure that mans the, well, it's the red shadows version of the Hell, which was Uh. renamed the Laser Exterminator. (laughs) But the coolest thing that the Red Shadows brought to our toy collecting world 
is something that has yet to see any re-release or any attention at all since its vintage release, as far as I can tell. And that's the Robo Skull. Robo Are you scratching your head, gentlemen? I am. What could that possibly be? Well, if you can imagine a TIE fighter, okay, but instead of the cockpit, make it a skull, a red skull. Put laser <laughs> cannons coming out of its eye holes. Instead of the solar panels on the outside, you have triangular rocket boosters that are multi-positional. So they face downwards for takeoffs, then they move into a horizontal orientation, and the thing flies forwards. And there you have the RoboSkull. It's seated one pilot, and it is just a fantastically wicked design. It looks like it should be in the Masters of the Universe. But, I mean, for a bunch of bad guys who are led by a dude called Baron Ironblood and have a reptilian mutant in their team, I suppose it makes perfect sense to get around in a gigantic flying red skull. Oh, totally. And this kind of idea was very popular because of shows like Captain Scarlet and that kind and of stuff. You know, and the Mysterions. And the Mysterions. So all the Super Mario Nation stuff was very big in England, in the UK. I must say and Black Major looks exactly like a dude from Captain Scarlet. Uh, yep. It wouldn't surprise hat. me at all. Yeah. That kind of thing was popular, so they obviously knew their market. They knew that doing some kind of military force very much like G.I. Joe and not giving them something fantastical to fight would have lost their market. They had some sort of gradual takeover in the comic books produced by Marvel UK where the Red Shadows joined forces with Cobra and then eventually, before long, uh, Action Force were exclusively fighting Cobra. And then before long after that, Action Force was married to G.I. Joe as G.I. Joe, the Action Force. Well, and yeah. the very next year, Action Force was gone completely. I suppose it uh, kind of timed well with the death of the owner of Pally Toy. I oh, imagine wow. they were kind of winding up the, the company. But my first brushing with the Robo Skull was an issue of the Action Force comic book where Storm Shadow makes his first appearance. He's enlisted by Cobra Commander to assassinate, I think it was Hawk? It was probably Flint. Whoever was the, I think it was, yeah, it was Flint because it was uh, obviously Action Force and they were led by Flint. But anyway, so they send Storm Shadow out in a fucking Roboskull, dude. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's super wicked. You're going to send the White Ninja in this fantastical robotic science fiction engine of death. I mean, it's not really subtle, is it? No. But it made for a scintillating read. Those Marvel UK dudes knew how to draw, man. Yeah, I know. They, they are amazing artists in that era. Wow. And a lot of those guys were 2000 AD swapovers as well. They did a lot of art for 2000 AD. So a lot of them are Judge Dredd and ABC Warriors alumni and you know, what's that road trooper and stuff? Yeah, and I've got a lot of those books. I'd actually like to do some research, maybe just go through all my 1080s and see if there's anything cool in there. Well, folks, if you want to read any of the Marvel UK stuff, or any of the Action Force stuff, I should say, which was actually put out in newspapers in the United Kingdom, strangely enough, as an insert, yeah. um, 
you can check out Blood for the Baron. Absolutely every comic book, to the best of my knowledge, is reproduced there. And some of them even have color. Yeah, I was about to say, they're doing that huge color project or something. The fans coloring project. Power to them. I mean, it's a labor of love, but it's really appreciated because it does make some of that art really pop. Sometimes you need a little bit of assistance. It's difficult for a modern readership to look at a black and white image and and actually see everything that's going on because the art is stunningly well detailed. Oh, no, I agree. It's awesome, awesome, awesome work. I've seen um, you sent me some pages of Zartan on, oh, yeah. a, on a glider, Cobra glider or something. Yeah, Zartan's introduction. He was using the claw at the time. That's right, the claw. The, there we go. Yeah, that's that was very cool. This is a very cool concept. I, I, I like this a lot. It's You've taken something old and you're kind of making it new again, which is pretty cool. There were fantastic characters and concepts that were just shelved and... It'd be nice to show some love to the designs of the five points of articulation figures because in spite of being limited by their articulation, the designs were good. The characters were good. There's a lot of great material that has just been shelved and is never seeing the light of day. Yeah, I agree. I mean, we have to be quite thankful for Action Force in a lot of ways because Action Force was in South Africa. I know this now. But also... um, I think a lot of its popularity was sort of gained by being Action Force. I've got a lot of G.I. Joe tapes, official tapes, which are Action Force, not G.I. Joe. And even after a while, for example, when they released the G.I. Joe Hall of Fame 12-inch figures, Snake Eyes, Stalker, Cobra Commander, <coughs> and Duke, I had a Snake Eyes and a, one of my neighbors, who, or one of the kids that lived in the same street as me, had a Duke, and his was an Action Man. Yeah, they called him Action Man. But everything was G.I. Joe. Just the name was Action Man instead of Action Force or G.I. Joe. So that's kind of interesting as well. And while we've been talking about this, I started looking this all up on uh, on Yo Joe. And if you're going to call everything else by his German names, then you should probably call Baron Einblood by his German name, which is actually pretty cool. Eisenblut. Eisenblut. Very nice. Oh, that is cool. And I love his, his kind of like little file card. His primary specialty is techniques of destruction. <laughs> and his secondary specialty is strong leader. <laughs> <laughs> ah, something I've just noticed now. The ATC, which is the Action Force APC, which I'm so excited about, has got on one of its computer banks a decal of a his tank. Only in Action Force, they called the his tank the Hyena, and it was actually colored red. I mean, that'd be a pretty easy reissue. Come on. Yeah. But the level of detail is just staggering. It's incredible. I mean, that Robo Skull is amazing. Yep. Did you ever know that such a thing existed? I did not know that. It's beautiful. I think definitely this is something that I would love to see rediscovered and people you know just getting everyone into the sort of and it's also very sci-fi influence which I quite like hmm. so I will no doubt be looking for an ATC good luck to me perhaps being here in England stuff. will be of some use in trying to find an action force toy but man oh man it comes with dock stretcher and it clips onto the side wasn't um, correct me if I'm wrong here wasn't Dr. Venom um, a shared character 
a character that was eventually shared. Like, for example, uh, he obviously exists in the G.I. Joe mythos, but wasn't he in Action Force or in the comic books? Something because they did do a, a like a, a figure of him recently in three three quarter all oh, modern era sculpt, and uh, uh, did did they do Doctor Venom? I I did th- they oh, do the figure because I want Iron Blood. Yeah. Baron Ironblood, to my to the best of my knowledge, was redone as a O-ring style figure. I think that was part of the rollout roll roll call um, vacation subset, where I think it's Falcon somehow gets tracked by the Red Shadows. That's quite a cool set, that actually. They put out an Indiana Jones vehicle, some sort yes. of car, like a red car. Um, and the Endor playset from Star Wars as a sort of Red Shadows base. Yeah, I love that um, Indiana Jones car for that. <laughs> I think it's so cool. I looked at that and I was like, oh, I need one for Cobra Commander. Yes and no. Look, if if you're going to release a car, very fine and well, nice, it's red, it's the Red Shadows, but you're overlooking the fucking Roboskull? Yes, Come on. No. Now, that is a one-of-a-kind toy. And all it takes, just as it took back in the day, it's just a straight-up retool of a TIE of fighter. A TIE fighter. Mm. <laughs> Maybe Palatoy had the right to distribute Star Wars stuff, and if I'm not mistaken, I think they did. Or maybe uh, Toy was part of Kenner Group or something like that. But I'm pretty sure that there was a licensing problem with that. <laughs> that or maybe that. they just owned the tooling to the Star Wars stuff and would put it out domestically here in the UK. So they had all that existing tooling. They just kind of built off of that. Because they also had another parallel with Star Wars. The original headquarters playset for Action Force was heavily based on the Death Star playset, which essentially is made of Bristol board or kind of a hard card. Oh, yes. And it made this circular playset, which is extremely intricate. I mean, if you can overlook the fact that all of it is 2D board, bringing Mm. out the detail. It has passageways, it has a swimming pool, it has a rifle range, it has a control room, it's multi-leveled, it has a lift, it has a landing pad. It's a beautiful, beautiful piece. And I'm sure frighteningly difficult to find on the aftermarket now. Yeah, because of all the brittle parts. But the art on it is also stellar. I think even if it's not that much fun to play with, it's just a beautiful piece to behold and set your figures up inside. It would kind of make sense as a centerpiece for a budding Action Force collection, if I ever do dabble with the five points of articulation, guys. There's a ladybird crawling on my transportable tactical battle platform. Oh. Amazing. Completely out of scale. That's wrong. (laughs) They're in Dinosaur World. They're in Steven's Back to the Future subset. Doesn't that mean my transportable oh, yeah. tactical battle platform is going to get married? It could mean that. Yes. yes. To your G.I. Joe headquarters, because those would look great next to each other. I don't know, <laughs> man. I can't decide whether it looks better next to the flag, which was released in the same year and is also out of scale, and naval. I mean, <laughs> an, an oil rig and an aircraft carrier would look, yeah, look about right. 
I'm saying oh. the relative scales of the flag to the transportable tactical battle platform. I would just need to play with micro machines. <laughs> Everywhere you want to go. Or Creos. Yes, Creos. Yeah, I suppose. There's Absolutely. a tactical battle platform for Creo. Yeah, but that is woefully undersized. Yes, I think right. the real tactical platform with Creo-sized Joes would be perfect. Oh, also interesting. I don't know if any of you guys have seen the Walking Dead figures. Uh, from McFarlane toys. I don't know if they are from McFarlane, but they're just bigger than GI Joes. Yes, they're, they're, they're McFarlane toys. We got them in our in, in our comic shop. I can't believe they're McFarlane toys. That's amazing. McFarlane's actually putting an articulation. Yeah, some good articulation. They've also done. They started out doing a line of Assassin's Creed figures, but from like three onwards. Oh wow! Yeah, because like the last Connor guys did it. and like the pirate dudes and stuff like that, and they're very actually well articulated and they look really good. Except for but they're being just, too big. Just yeah, they're just out of scale. You yeah. know, they're four inches. Four inches is the average height. There's a kid in the Walking Dead line, and he's perfect. You know, he's a GI Joe. He's he's yeah, GI Joe. Yeah, you'll probably see them that side, Steve. I'm pretty sure you will. Yeah, or well, you can come to my comic shop and see them. When he's back in the country, yeah. Yeah. <sighs> the 23rd of April? Couldn't come soon enough, fellas. Wow. I'll be back in sunny South Africa. But without further okay. ado, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, listeners of G.I. Joburg, we'd like to bid you adieu until the next time. Oh, my ladybird just took off. That's a divorce. <laughs> so for me, Steve, I want to wish you well over this G.I. Joe drought. I hope you find some outlet for your hobby. We certainly have enough that we need to tend to right about now. Our YouTube channel, our uh, various other exploits, but also just enjoying the stuff that we've got. And hell, if you've got holes in your vintage collection, the bay awaits. Incidentally, before we go... <laughs> Uh, there'll be some artworks based on some of the Joes that we discussed tonight. Just maybe one or two select characters from each of our forces um, rendered in color. They'll be basic, rendered as concept art style drawings, but they'll be available on our Facebook page. That's G.I. Joburg on Facebook. So be sure to hit us up on that. And you can see that uh, shortly after the podcast is released or probably simultaneously. Well, the race is on, my friend. <laughs> Can I edit and publish this podcast episode before Paul puts up his artwork? Dun, dun, dun. Find out next. <laughs> On G.I. Joburg. <laughs> Robbie, any shout-outs, my friend? Yeah, I'm shouting out to myself. Hey, Rob, future Rob. This was cool. Good job. Wow, that's I assuming like you actually listen to this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I occasionally, I, I feel like a time cop now, kind of like Jean Claude Van Damme, just hearing or myself. Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> or, or him. He was cool too. Now, when I was 15 years old, I had a very important person in my life come to me and say, Who's your hero? And I said, I don't know, I got to think about that. Give me a couple of weeks. I come back two weeks later, this person comes up and says, Who's your hero? I said, I thought about it. You know who it is? I said, It's me in 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> Which. It's kind of a douchebaggy thing to say. But still awesome. <laughs> Somehow, yeah, actually. Well, you know, if you're standing up on that stage accepting a golden man, you have liberty to be as eccentric as you want. Yeah, true. you got the world in the palm of your hands. 
it's only afterwards that people start scratching their heads and looping it on YouTube ad infinitum. Yeah. Wicked performer, Adele Dizzy. Adina <laughs> <laughs> Menzel. Oh, yeah. uh, Paul, you yeah, really need to watch more TV, my man. Yeah, I just don't do that. <laughs> the only thing that shows on our TV is NCIS or JAG. I think it's kind of cool that my mother watches JAG, I have to say. Oh, it's Jack kind is of actually cool that your cool. mother watches Catherine Bell. Oh, yes. Oh, Catherine Bell's bum, awesome. She's totally bum, my number one choice for, for bum, Lady J any day. Bum, and she still got it, man. She could still be I, the J. Instead, they went with some... I don't know. Adriana Paliki. <sighs> yeah. <sighs> and she ain't right. I agree. Catherine Bell, man. She's yeah. Lady J in my dreams. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And on that note, good night. Good night, everybody. Good night. <laughs> to that I say, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> to that I say, just keep living, huh? Thank you.